Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I am your host, Paul Oren. You can find me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can find Union Street Hoops on Google Pods, Apple Pods, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the award-winning NWI.com. Probably a few other places there as well. Big episode for you today. Valparaiso University President Jose Padilla joins the podcast. First time I've ever I've ever done this, had the president of the university on. He is going to talk about a host of topics, including what athletics means to him at the university, uh, the nickname, and as well as athletics recreation center enhancements or a new arena. Loaded interview, 25 minutes with Jose Padilla. That's coming up here in a little bit. A couple thoughts as we go right now, I, I don't really know where to start, right? We can start with the Charlotte game, but I don't I don't want to start with that quite yet, although we will talk about the Charlotte game in a second. Um, the last couple of days, so this interview I did with President Padilla was on Friday, December 10th. Uh, later on in that evening, the Valparaiso volleyball team knocked off UConn in a uh, the semifinals of the National Invitational Volleyball Championship Tournament. Let me tell you, it, this was something else. I, I just, I know this is a basketball podcast, uh, but but allow me for a second for this to turn into a volleyball podcast. And and if you're not feeling it, then you know you can hit fast forward if you want to and get to Padilla eventually. But but hear me out. I I I have been around Valpo for for twenty some odd years, right? Um, started as a student, came back, you know, kind of worked my way up the the chain at the NWI Times to become the beat reporter of Valpo and and something that you know I have always aspired to do is is work in collegiate sports and part of it is I love the pageantry of of college sports and not to say that high school doesn't have it and I'm and, and it does but it is just something special about uh you know say say what you will to me about like Valpo playing Chesterton and people from the same community or communities nearby battling each other. I've always loved the fact of, of you take people from from different schools across the country that kind of meet and and like Valpo against Yukon just you know like when is when is Valpo and Yukon ever gonna like it's just completely different parts of the world. I just I just that's what I love. I love the idea of of, of just bringing people around from all over the place right and and the universal language of sport i just think is fantastic so um but you know i i've i've been going to a handful of the volleyball matches we've written a few stories uh, Brittany anderson is a is is a woman from bishop knoll high school and and so in the area and we're always at the the northwest indiana times striving to bring you coverage of of things that are local that will tie in as well Kara Cooper from Laporte, although didn't didn't do a story on her this year, certainly paid attention to to what she did over over time. New Prairie, uh, Elise Swistek, also very very good freshman for this team. But over time, you get to know you know the Riley Cookerleys and the Peyton McCarthys and the Haley Hart's and the Gabby Daniels, and and it's a loaded senior class. And so the volleyball team was really good this year. Matter of fact, many people don't know this; they lost two starters to injury midway through the season, and. Uh, and and kind of I wouldn't say it didn't even derail their team. They just kind of kept going, and so they make it to this tournament, and they they end up you know they they beat um, Butler, and they beat Toledo, and then they beat Evansville for the fourth time this year, and then they get this semifinal, and, and they're hosting it, which was great. 
the university made a uh, kind of a commitment. I don't know how much money it costs to do this, but it's probably akin to the CIT or the CBI, where the schools have to make some sort of commitment to the teams. And so Valpo plays UConn on Friday night and beats them. And there's 1,200 people there. And it was insane. Now, I have been to games. Like I said, I've been here for a long time. I've been to games with, you know, the Horizon League Championship games for men's basketball were big. The women's NIT games, I think, in 2002 were big. Um, and then the uh, the NIT games for the men's in, in 2016 were big. And so this was the student section here for the UConn game, and certainly for Sunday night's championship against UNLV, were on par with that. And I got to tell you, it was it was shocking yet refreshing to me because I had wondered, and, and take this for what it is, I had wondered if today's generation of college student cared enough about collegiate athletics to show out the way they did for the UConn and UNLV games. And I say this not necessarily being critical of, of the student sections in years past, but if you've, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I'll take some shots every once in a while. Like I don't understand people who sit in the student section. I've said this before. There was no sitting at the volleyball matches. They, they were, it was as loud from the student section as I've seen. Sunday night at the Ark, the student section was filled and there was spillover into behind the team bench. This is the way that I remember it from when I was an undergrad. Every basketball game was like this, right? Where, I mean, it was huge. And seeing seeing the fans show up to support the volleyball team the way they did kind of made me realize that the Valpo fans, the students, still have it in them. It's not that the world of social media and being connected on the screens or video games or anything, like or, or all the other stuff in life, has has distracted fans enough that they that they don't want to come out and see a great quality product. And let me tell you, for those who didn't get a chance to watch this volleyball team over the last you know, not only 10 days, but the last you know, four months, it was a quality product. Riley Cookerly is going to finish second all time, one short of tying the career digs record. Um, Peyton McCarthy is as electric of a middle blocker as I've seen. Just a great, great athlete. Brittany Anderson, a dual sport athlete in softball and volleyball. Um, just you know, if I'm to 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 not get on a soapbox, but like this group typifies what the student athlete is at at not only Valpo but college sports in general. And Karen Avery, uh, you know, has been doing this for a long time at Valpo, and probably could have left at any number of times to go to a bigger job. And she put roots down in Valpo, and it's it was impressive and. You know, one of those things, and probably as a reporter, you get some grief for this because you're supposed to be unbiased and all of that. And I guess given the fact that we cover the volleyball team once every five years, I I don't really need to find myself towing that line all that much. But it was just good to see good things happen to good people. And it was awesome to watch this occur. 
Now I will tell you, I saw Sheldon Edwards after the or in the middle of the game, of uh, the championship game, he was walking by, we bumped into each other and I pointed to the student section and I said, they'll show up for a great product. And he, and, and, and Sheldon was, I mean, I think there were guys on the basketball team in the student section. Right. And so I think Sheldon kind of longingly and with jealous eyes kind of looked at the student section and, and, uh, and, and, and obviously I think you all know that are listening because the people that listen to this podcast are the passionate Valpo fans that the years in which Valpo's basketball product has been really good. The home court advantage at the arc has been really good. Well, there hasn't been that as of late. Um, there were 2,200 people, 2,264 people at the Charlotte basketball game. There were 2,220 people at the UNLV volleyball match. Um, and so that's, but, but the crowd at the volleyball match was so much louder than the crowd. At, now, now, there were times at the Charlotte game that it got loud. Trevor Anderson hitting a, th- or Sheldon hitting a three-pointer to tie the game at 62-62 late in the game as Valpo kind of erased this deficit and came all the way back. It, I mean, the crowd got loud. Don't get it wrong. Kevion Taylor getting in the line, hitting a pair of free throws, and Valpo suddenly having a lead late. But then it just it went sideways at the end. And so uh, to wrap up the first part, kudos to the volleyball team for just an amazing, amazing show and a great run. And I'll remember, you know, we only covered – really one of the matches for the times we wrote a couple of stories, but, but I went to most of them and I will remember uh, that run uh, up there with the NIT run for men's basketball and some of the other stuff that I've seen over the years. It was really, it was really something special. Now shifting to basketball, the Charlotte game, it felt like, and I tweeted this out. It felt like the beginning of the season right? Like throw out the first 10 games. You've got your roster intact. Now, this is what this team is going to be. Everybody was available to play for the most part. Now, Keandre Young has got a, I think he's got a thumb or he banged his, his finger, right? And I'm, I'm curious about how, how tough of an injury that this could be, right? Like it, if it's a shooting hand, I think it is, um, Obviously, it's uh, it's it's a hard one. Keandre, it's like he's been held out the last couple of games, and I, I don't know if 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 this is something that could be long term. And if it's long term, maybe you shut him down because you're probably right at the point now where he played a third of the season, where you could probably get a red shirt for him. But again, I'm I'm I I have no idea what's going on. But like Kobe King is back. How many minutes are there for Keandre Young? And if this injury is serious, right? I mean, you 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 mess up your, yeah. Who knows? I, I have no idea. So he wasn't available to play, and Emil has been dealing with a medical issue that um, I haven't gotten a lot of clarification on. I know it's non-COVID related, uh, but I know it's serious, and and I know that um, that again, he he just might not be able to go again this year. I, I I don't I don't have a lot of details on it because they're they've been very skittish about talking about it. Um, I guess this is one of those situations where it's uh, um, it's probably the severity of it is just that they, they just don't want to talk about it. And I get it, you know. I mean, they, they've, they've all they've said is that he's out with a medical issue, and that's what it is. So 
So I, I, I wouldn't imagine he's going to be around much. Um, although he was at the East-West game, I think he was he was out there at the game, um, but in and obviously in street clothes. So it's uh, but for, but going back to my point, for better or worse, this is the roster now. You got Kobe King back. They made a lineup switch, right? They they started Matt started the five that I would think would be the proper starting five for Valpo, at least the the starting five that gives you the most firepower with Kithier and Cricky in the front court and then Anderson, Edwards, and King. And this feels like the best starting five. And then you bring Darius off the bench as to, to get, you know, seven to 10 minutes as a backup point guard. You got Kevion Taylor, who kind of is the sixth man, who's probably the first guy off the bench. And then you've got Aaron Gordon, who will play, you know, when 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 you need some experienced maturity on the floor, right? And he has been vacant offensively this year, but he's been quick to point out that maybe that's not his role. I, I but it's it seems like four on five when he's playing offense, but he also has made some good defensive plays, right? And and there was a moment late in that game against Charlotte where Valpo came back, and this is this is the the if but and kind of thing. Um with with Aaron and Kevion, there was a moment where I thought to myself, you know, I, and I don't know, just to give you a little bit of behind the scenes, um toward the last media timeout of every game is when I will message Brandon Vickery or Brandon will reach out to me and say, who do you want in the press conference? And while Kobe had scored the most points and Sheldon Edwards hit a big shot and Trevor Anderson had had done really well with 12, 6 and 4. I thought the story for a time there was Kevion Taylor coming off the bench and, you know, out of the starting lineup, and he did really well. And then Aaron Gordon, I thought, uh, also did some good defensive things down the stretch of the game. But Valpo ended up losing. And when Valpo loses and when Valpo doesn't, I mean, you can look and dissect the last minute in different ways, and you wonder where was Kobe King? Why wasn't he on the floor? And and so if Valpo wins that game, the story is probably how great it was for Kevion Taylor and Aaron Gordon to get knocked out of the starting lineup and yet come back to make huge contributions in the final moments of the game. Because Valpo lost, the story is suddenly now, where was Kobe King? You brought this guy to Valpo for crunch time play why isn't he on the floor in the final minute of the game? And it's again one of those things. This is the curse. It, it's 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 and as as a journalist, it's what we do, right? Like it, it sometimes we boil everything down to mere inches in the narrative on one side or another, right? And so if Trevor Anderson knocks down either one of those three pointers, you know, we're talking about a completely different conversation. And it's just one of those things in and this is why wins cover up so many warts and losses expose so many things. Because if Trevor Anderson hits one of those threes and Valpo doesn't get doesn't miss a switch, and Kevion gets fouled, the foul is called, and he goes to the line, hits those shots, and Valpo wins the game, it's a completely different conversation. I really kind of, you know, Matt Loddick said two big things in the post game press conference. One, he owned the loss. He said, this one is on me. And it was, right? Like, you know, there were just some things, some miscues that were made late in the game. Now, I will be the first to tell you that, like, 
I don't, I'm not smarter than a division one basketball coach. And I'm probably not smarter than many of you, uh, who are armchair coaches as well. Right. Um, but it felt like where's Kobe King. That's what it felt like. Where's Thomas Kithier? Kithier's defense got them back in the game. Those guys were on the bench. Cricky was vacant for most of the game. And, and part of that, too, was some terrible, terrible officiating middle of the game where he got hit with back-to-back fouls. And I don't think either one of them were fouls. Took him completely out of the rhythm of the game. Kithier and Cricky, you can call this coaching, call this execution on the floor, whatever it is. And, and again, look at how they match up with Charlotte. So, so again, going deep into the details of what the game plan was, Kithier and Cricky combined for nine shot attempts. That is less than every one of the other four players that play. Well, Kevion Taylor took nine shot attempts in 29 minutes. Sheldon Edwards took 11. Trevor Anderson took 11. King took 12. Kithier and Cricky took nine combined in 47 minutes of play. It just was tough, right? Cricky didn't get a rebound in the game. And it, 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 that was hard to see because these are the two guys that you really think are going to be stars for you. And credit Charlotte, maybe it was the game plan. Maybe it was just the way that they matched up everything like that, right? Like it, it just felt like earlier in the game, is there a method to scoring easy baskets when Valpo's going through some of these long stretches where they're, they're struggling to get shots going on? Valpo took 24 three-pointers in the game. They made nine. Charlotte took 17 three-pointers in the game. They made 11. They were unconscious from the three-point line in the second half. But it goes back to the final minute, right? Valpo erases an 11-point deficit. They come back. Sheldon hits a big three-pointer to tie the game. Kevion gets fouled, and it's called. He goes to the line. Valpo's up 64-62. Things look great. Jameer Young, who was outstanding, comes down, kind of does an action that he hasn't done the entire game. They miss a defensive switch. He lays it in easy. Valpo comes down, kind of a sloppy possession. You don't call timeout there. You don't set anything up. That's, again, another one where, again, people have a field day with it. Valpo ends up turning the ball over. Um, you know, he goes, Young goes down and scores again. Now Valpo's got it. They've got a chance to take the to tie or take the lead. The ball goes inside, gets passed over to Kevion Taylor. He, you know, he kind of fumbles it a little bit. He gets what looked to be a lot of contact. And so... Well, first of all, one of the things that Matt Loddick said was he owned it. He owned the loss. He said, this one is on me. He also said, as I kind of went down the rabbit hole, I asked Kevion, was he fouled? And I asked Matt about the play. And Matt said, look, it would be irresponsible for us to talk about just that when there were so many other plays that happened. And he pointed to how he wanted to go back and look at the final minute of play. And then I asked him, where, where, where was Kobe? Where was Kobe King? And he said, look, Aaron gave us great defensive minutes and Kobe looked gassed during the, the final substitution. He said Kobe just looked exhausted. Kobe King played 29 minutes, first Division One college basketball game in a long time. Again, say say what you will, you know, like um, those are the those are the decisions that get made. I you know, there's if it would be very easy for me or anyone to say in hindsight, yes. Put him on the floor, tired or no tired. You hope that he can dig down and make a play. And uh, and he wasn't on the floor. And so, but but again, Aaron Gordon did some great defensive things to get Valpo back in that position, right? To, and 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 so that that one was a tough one. It was a tough tough loss for Valpo. Uh, probably a game they should have won. You know, it was Charlotte's good. You know, they got Jameer Young was fantastic. And then they just made their shots. They just made 
their shots. They shot 51%. Uh, incredible Valpo, 14 of 14 from the free throw line. That was big. Kobe King, 6 of 6. That's big, right? That shows that down the line, if he's in the game in crunch time, that he'll be able to hit crunch time free throws. So where does Valpo go from here? Well, they got a week off. They got finals. They got all that stuff. And I thought this was going to be the hardest game of this stretch. Now they got they got three winnable games, and they have to win all three games. They have to win these games. To show positive momentum going into conference play, you have to beat Eastern Michigan, a team that you had beat on the road. I think, was it last year or two years ago? I don't remember exactly now with COVID and all that. Um, the up eight late in the game, I think, and, and, and they blew it at Eastern Michigan. And then you get William and Mary in Prairie View A&M. These are games you have to win. Valpo's got to win pretty much in convincing fashion in these next three games because these are games that they should they should win. And then you you begin conference play in earnest with Illinois State. And that also is a game, you know, Illinois State already has a, a key conference win. This is a game at home that you should win. And then you get into a tough stretch at Northern Iowa, home against Southern Illinois, at Loyola, home against Missouri State. I mean, the first five games of this are are tough games. Um, but you've got to win these next three games. And I know the coaches, and you know, Matt Loddick said, we're going to pour over film over the next week while the kids are in finals, and they're going to figure it out, right? Or, or, or they don't figure it out, and then there's whole other conversations there. So uh, Kobe King looks to be as good as advertised. There's no question. He is as good as advertised. Now, how does he fit in with everybody else, right? And Valpo looks like, with that starting five, it's the best talent they have. And you bring guys like Kevion Taylor, Aaron Gordon, and Darius Diavaro off, off the bench, and that's your eight-man rotation. And then you got Connor Barrett, and then you got Trey Woodyard, and you got Keandre Young, depending on the health status, and Joe Hedstrom to guys that if you need... Uh, you know, they they brought Connor Barrett in for a little bit and thought he thought he did some good stuff for a little bit defensively while he was out there. Um, it uh, but it looks like Valpo's got their rotation and how those minutes get divided. We'll see. So got a couple of days, got a week, a week until Valpo's next game. And, and we'll we'll see. We'll go from there and, and see how things shake out here. Uh, got another podcast planned for later on the week, stepping away from this current basketball season and going into the past for a little bit while dangling with the future. I think you're really going to like that. Well, that'll come later on this week. Uh, but for now, Jose Padilla is going to join for what should be a revealing and excellent interview. Um, you know, I, 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 I just I, I reached out two months ago. And, uh, and I said this was something that I wanted to do, and it took some time to kind of get everything on the same page. And, man, trying to get on the calendar of a, uh, of a, of a new university president is uh, maybe one of the more difficult things that I've ever, I've ever found. But uh, we got him. He's on Union Street Hoops. Big deal. Uh, Padilla, uh, before, I, before I get into the interview, let me just say that this guy is got an electric personality when it comes to athletics. I was at the pep rally for the volleyball match before the championship game on Sunday night. And he was, he was given a fiery speech that is kind of unlike anything I've seen from a Valpo university administrator in my 20 years of being around the school, right? This is a guy who understands the value of college athletics. And a part of it comes from his background. You hear it in a little bit. And, this is a guy who is 
And my guess is going to long-term continue to make investments in the athletic department. Might not have gotten off to a great start in the eyes of a lot of people by changing from Crusaders to Beacons, and he'll explain that in a little bit. But uh, President Padilla, man, this guy is, uh, I mean, he was in the student section during the volleyball match on Sunday night, and uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I, I think that's going to continue to rub off on other people. And uh, and so, again, without further ado, here's, here's President Padilla. I think you'll enjoy the interview. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you later on this week. Valparaiso fans have seen him walking the sidelines at a football game in what's becoming now a trademark cowboy hat. He's been running onto the court at basketball games, waving the Valpo flag. I've seen him drop everything he's doing to go over to softball field and take batting practice with the team. And if you're lucky enough, you can catch him taking an evening stroll around campus with his dog, Coach. Very thrilled, very excited. Union Street Hoops, very special guest, the 19th president of Valparaiso University, President Jose Padilla. President, thank you very much for joining us today. Paul, thanks so much for the invitation. I, I'm looking forward to our, our discussion here today. I, I guess you have a dog named Coach, so that, that bears out that you are a sports fan, right? Yes. Kind of how did that start with you? I, you're from Toledo originally. You, you went to Toledo. You did the University of Michigan. You've worked a couple of different big athletic places. When did sports become part of your life? Well, I think sports was a part of my life when I grew up. My father, I, I, like you said, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. He was a diehard Tigers and Lions fan. Um, and, uh, you know, he started me in Little League when I was in third grade. And I played Little League football. Uh, I was always pretty heavy kid. So I only got down to weight for one year, but uh, I just remember uh, summer nights where he and I would watch a full baseball game, the Detroit Tigers. I can tell you right now, the starting lineup of the 1968 world champion Detroit Tigers. And uh, we always lived every year in uh, exasperation because the Detroit Lions were not really good, never have been good. And then, um, you know, and I played high school football and was a track athlete. I wasn't that a very good track athlete. And then in college, University of Toledo had a decent football team in the MAC and, and really good basketball. Back then in the late 70s, every year we went to the NCAAs. We usually got knocked out in the first or second round. But so I just, all that's just been part of my DNA. And of course, it went on steroids when I went to the University of Michigan Law School with Michigan football and you know, uh, last Saturday night, I tell you, I was, well, the last two Saturdays, I've been sky high uh, by Michigan victories, particularly over the Buckeyes. Yeah, that's a big one. That was a big one. And so, you know, coming here, uh, well, you know, at, at DePaul, uh, we obviously had a storied basketball program that has not been as storied recently. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so similar to Valpo in a lot of ways. We're obviously smaller, but uh, how the basketball was our our claim to fame for national celebrity. Uh, the difference here, of course, is we have football and I love football and I love being on the sidelines because I want the kids to know that I'm there. Uh, you know, in basketball, I'm obviously in the in the stands, but I love about football is I can be there with the kids and just feel the vibrations and kind of remember what it was like to play ball. So- And I loved your family has come out with you to these. And and uh, I, I wonder if, if they're not the biggest cheering section of Valpo right now. Well, Camille, my daughter, who uh, uh, lives with us temporarily, she is she's something else, and she drinks the Kool Aid in some ways more so than than I do. Um, in terms of coach, my my son, 
uh, is a college lacrosse coach at Detroit Mercy University. And uh, see, I started, he got introduced to lacrosse uh, in third grade when we were living in Fairfax, Virginia, because I was working in Washington, DC at the time. And this kid really didn't have the patience for uh, T-ball. And uh, he wasn't, he liked soccer, but wasn't, didn't really like it all that much. And I saw these little league lacrosse players playing nearby. And I said, I think that's the sport for him. And I'll tell you, he just took to it. And this kid would take his stick to bed. And even to this day, he's 34 years old and he gets a stick on his hand. He's just playing wall ball. And uh, he played in high school and prep school and college. And, uh, and when we came back to Chicagoland after DC, there was no lacrosse. So I had to start a lacrosse program because otherwise this kid would be nuts, go nuts. And we started a lacrosse program in Western Springs, Illinois that I started uh, with about 30 kids in maybe 1999 or 2000. And when I stopped running it uh, for the Western Springs Recreation Department about six or seven years later, we had 300 boys and girls playing lacrosse. So that's the, the reason for coach's name is because coaching is big in our family. You mentioned the 1968 Tigers. I would imagine Denny McLean would have been a, uh, a hero of yours. Any other athletes in particular that are, that are people that, that you look to as uh, inspiration or athletes that you've just cheered for? Well, as a kid, as a kid, it was always, uh, you know, like Willie Horton. For some reason, I loved Willie Horton. He was the uh, left fielder uh, for the Tigers. Uh, I loved Bill Freehan, who was the catcher. Let me just show off here. I'll tell you the starting lineup of the, of the, of the Tigers. Was Bill Freehan, catcher, Norm Cash, first base, Dick McAuliffe, second base, Ray Orler, and then later on, Mickey Stanley, shortstop, Dick Wirtz, third base, Willie Horton, left field, center field, rotated between Mickey Stanley and Jim Northrup. And right field was the heroic, legendary Al Kaline. And the starting rotation was, as you said, McLean, Mickey Lolich, who actually won that World Series for us. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the others, there was us. Earl Wilson was a starter. Uh, and I'm trying to remember who the other starter was. But, you know, those guys, I, I lived and breathed the Tigers. And then when I went to high school, like a dope, uh, for some reason, I thought, okay, let me go into track and field. And I was a much, much better baseball player than a track athlete. And I should have stayed with baseball. Um, but anyway, uh, in terms of my heroes now, uh, you know, I always loved, um, oh, God, I'm spacing his name out, uh, the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Michigan man. Uh, Brady. Well, that would be Tom Brady, unfortunately. Yeah, Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, I obviously, um, Tom Brady was a, a, a hero, but I liked I always now at this point in time, I love college and high school and, and uh, pro football, but naturally gravitate to the, the high character athletes, because obviously in a lot of these, sometimes we've lost perspective in sports. I love sports, but by the same token, that's what I love about Valpo is, you know, at the college level, at least we keep some proportionality about it and keep it in perspective. It's, it's an add on. It's not something that should be dominant. And uh, what I love about our, our football coach is he's a good character coach in the sense that he's, you know, making these young men uh, realize that there's more to life than just playing football. We want to play hard in the field, but, you know, there's more to life than just football. Well, first of all, I know that people are just listening to the audio of this and that 1968 Tigers roster was completely off the top of your head. There was no cheat sheet there. That was wonderful. Um, this is a good segue here. Um, 
first of all, I, I kind of laughed knowing that we were going to talk today. Earlier this week, the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, said that being a university president is the hardest job in America, which uh, I would I would say that you've had a kind of an interesting job in the first six months you've been here with the pandemic and everything. But Nine I wanted months. to. Uh, yes, yes. I wanted to ask uh, kind of about your thinking about college athletics and how it fits into the university model. Right. Like what you, you know, what, what is the purpose at the end of the day of obviously maybe at Michigan? And DePaul, it's different, you know, than a Valpo. But I guess, how do you view college athletics in terms of what it means to the individual student athletes or the community or the school at large? Okay, let's talk about the person who isn't playing. To me, it's something that people can coalesce around and make their college experience so much richer. So, for example, when I went to, in a way, my college experience was at the University of Michigan for law school. That, isn't, that sounds wrong. But at the University of Toledo as a commuter, I did go to almost every rocket football game, but there's, you're missing something when you're not on campus. And I recognize some, like me at that time, I probably, I don't know, for whatever reason, I thought it was just better for me to be a commuter as opposed to be on a campus. And for some people, they don't have any choice and they have to be a commuter. But if you can be on campus, you get so much of a richer experience. I lived on campus at the University of Michigan. They had their own law dorm. And then, you know, I was like a couple block walks to the big house for football games. And when you get there and, and for us who are like, you know, we're not college athletes, but how it just inspires you. And I found that, for example, a lot of my law school classmates didn't go to Michigan. They went to other good schools, but Michigan just overwhelmed the experience so that it's like your undergrad kind of goes in the background and your memories and your formative experience was at the University of Michigan, even though we were in law school. And when you go to the big house and you see all those students there and all those alums and all those other fans, it, it's, a, com, it's a, com, a community. It's like it's like going to church in a way because you're brought together for the spirit of college athletics. And a lot of times it's kind of broken down. I get that. But it brings... In Michigan's case, 100,000 people together a couple Saturdays in the fall. And where does that happen in life? You know, the politics goes to the wayside, the polarization goes to the wayside. It, they come together for one common thing is to see young men play sports, play football. And you extend that to the other sports because I don't want to neglect the other sports and whether it be baseball, basketball, whatever the case may be but it brings people together and where all the arguments, all the pettiness just goes to the wayside. And I just think it makes the students experience, they can forget about the chemistry exam and, and so forth, or the, the English paper, they can just have fun and it just makes those four years some of the best four years of their lives. So that's, I think can be true at Valpo. One of the problems that we had at DePaul as well is that at least here, the kids are not coming out to the events as much as maybe they did historically. And I was just actually talking with the uh, former athletic director at DePaul, and, and that was something they struggled with at DePaul. Now, you know, the basketball team wasn't that great, so maybe if it got better, then people would come out, but, and, and maybe the same thing here, but um, I just think it's a, a community event that just brings all these people together. For the athletes themselves, this is their opportunity 
I wish I had that opportunity to still play the game. We know in our football team is non-scholarship. You have 100 players, uh, 20, about 25 of them are, are engineers. And, you know, they know they're not going to play real D1 scholarship football, but this is where they can live the dream and play the game they love. And I think that's fantastic. And again, to me, it's a force multiplier in these four years. As long as they keep perspective and recognize that, listen, they're not going to go pro and, you know, they're going to have to have a degree and they should have a degree. And that's why that's the main reason they're here. And, you know, football just makes it that much richer. And the same thing for the, you know, the, the alleged non-revenue sports. I love going, I'm going to go to the volleyball game tonight. I've been to softball games, been to baseball games. I've been to women's soccer games. And, you know, I just applaud them for what they do. And again, I, a lot of it is because my son played college ball. My daughter was a hell of a lacrosse player in high school. She, she uh, was being recruited by some major programs. And then, you know, then she was uh, undermined by three ACL tears. And at that point she said, the heck with it. So, so a part of our lives. Uh, obviously you've, you've touched on a lot of, uh, you know, your football and all that, where, whereas playing, playing football, playing a lot of these sports at Valpo is like, you're done after that, right? You're generally done. Basketball is obviously the big sport. And there are a lot of these guys that aspire to kind of go pro in, in basketball. Um, what has been your, uh, I mean, again, I loved watching you run out there with the flag and you were hyping everybody up and, and uh, what, what's just been your experience with basketball the first couple of months that you've been here? Well, obviously, you know, uh, it's been a struggle uh, and then waiting for our players to get ready, get eligible uh, after their transfer. And I understand, I didn't see the other game the other night, but I, I hear our. Uh, He's really good. He's really good. I'm looking forward to seeing him. And it looks like we're all healthy now. Um, so, you know, listen, I, I love, I went out to the Stanford game to watch us. And uh, I know we're better than we are. And I, I want us to be better. You know, I'm not expecting our teams to win championships consistently, but I always want us to be in the hunt. I don't want to be the doormat of anything we do. It's a philosophy that carries on to the rest of the university. We're going to try to be the best and as much as possible. And it may mean that, uh, you know, maybe again, we'll never be number one, but we're going to try like hell to be number one because we always do everything well. And I, that, that applies to sports as well. When you've you've met so many of these student athletes, again, the informal stuff of going out to softball, taking batting practice with them, stuff like that. When you looked into the eyes of the Valpo athletes over the again, your time here so far, what have you learned about them? And, and are, are, are they similar or different than what you've learned about them in other places? What I like about these kids is one, the, the happiness in their eyes. I mean, they're having fun. I see when the, the men's basketball team would come watch the the women's soccer games, or when they come and watch the women's basketball games, they're just, they're happy to be here, you know? Um, and, and, and that, you know, that's the bottom line is they should be doing this sport because they love it. And they just, and they, they're here because they love the environment. And I think there's a lot to love, of course, about Valpo. So just the happiness in their eyes. And I just hope that you know, whatever their win-loss record is, whatever, how much playing time they get, I hope 
that happiness continues and stays a constant in their lives. Because I said before, to me, sports is a force multiplier. It's, it's, it's a, a bridge, but I also don't want it to make, be the be all and end all where it just kind of casts a dark net over your college experience because you know, as much as again, I, I want to have a winning record, you know, if if that's the case for a particular sport, I don't want that to overshadow that that student's experience here at Valpo. You talked about happiness. Um, it's a good segue. I love segues. Uh, a big thing that's making people happy at the Ark and Brown Field has been uh, selling alcohol. This is exciting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jesus's first miracle was turning water into wine. So I've never understood why. Uh, why alcohol is frowned upon. I'm working at all these games, so I haven't really been able to partake in this, but it feels like a big shift at Valpo. This, uh, this idea of, 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 I mean, it's something as simple as having a beer or a glass of wine at a game, but was this something that, that you had input on it a little bit and just your thoughts on this whole process? Uh, I did have input on it. Mark LaBarber and I talked about this and, you know, I found out that we were the only team in the, in the Missouri Valley didn't do this. And I kind of thought, you know, that's nuts. Uh, it, it doesn't just because you're serving beer and wine doesn't mean it's going to be done irresponsibly. Uh, and, you know, we'll do it, we'll serve it and, and create guardrails to make it as, as safe as possible. But I want the whole, all the, 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 the fan experience to be as great as it can be as a draw. Now, happiness is not dictated by whether or not you're going to have a beer or a glass of wine. But, you know, if it means, like you say, they have one or two uh, and it, it's just a nice cap after a long day's work at the games during the day, uh, during the weekday or, or in football, it just makes it a little more relaxing and a little more fun to come to. But naturally we've got to create more opportunities and more incentives for people to come to games more so than just the sports, whether it be family day, or we're going to have this community day, I think uh, a week from Wednesday, I want to do more of that. And I've asked Mark to do more of that. So change can be great. Change can also be uncomfortable. Obviously, uh, the nickname, big, big thing, right? Um, I'm sure, I mean, the people I talk to, I'm sure the people you hear from in your travels, some people love it, some people don't love it. Walk me through this. I mean, first of all, the exciting process of, of, of showing up and, and, and kind of coming right in the middle of all of this, right? Okay, need a new nickname, need to figure out what to do. And then you landed on Beacons. I advocated strongly for the koalas. All of the listeners of this podcast were big fans of that name. Obviously, I don't think that ended up on your desk. How did you land on Beacons and what's been your reaction to all of this, the whole process? Well, you know, I understand. I think a lot of, of, of former athletes, uh, they were crusaders. And I get their, their, their loyalty to that name. I get that. Uh, but as with anything in life, times change and context changes. And I think that's part of, you know, the decisions that were made. Uh, and I understand in their minds, they'll always be uh, crusaders. But because of the, the changing in times and context and how we want to be respectful to all, uh, that led to that decision. Now, with respect to the new nickname, um, the reason I was drawn to Beacons is because, you know, does it does it have that muscular type feel to it on a football uh, field? You know, go Beacons. Uh, I'm sure there are other names that you could have thought of, but that wasn't the only reason I chose it. 
I chose it because one of its historical significance to the campus, yeah. Beacon Hall, the Beacon Yearbook, light. And so I felt that it would have application in other parts of campus, whether it be in church, whether it be in the classroom. And because in thy light, we see light or, you know, we're beacons, we show the light, uh, we show the way for others. And so that's why I picked it. And not only because of what it can do on the athletic field, but more importantly, what it does for the entire campus. And again, that kind of synopsizes my view on athletics. It's great. I want to have fun with it. It should be a positive. But again, it takes second. It's, it's second to the priorities on this campus, the academic priorities, and us creating servant leaders who, uh, once they leave here, they'll be beacons for others. It's, uh, again, I... I thought it was interesting to see the rollout because the, again, former athletes, like you said, feel tied to that. I was also in the room when John Maravich gave t-shirts to the women's soccer team and they were the happiest I'd seen, right? They, they, everyone put the shirts on, they took pictures all over Instagram, everything like that. It was great. Um, okay. I guess one more big topic I want to ask you about, uh, and probably the biggest topic, um, for a long time, there have been talks about can the Athletics Recreation Center get redone, uh, upgrades, facility upgrades? I just saw there was this vitalized Valpo 130-acre development that's being planned for near the campus. I don't know if the university has any ties to that and whatsoever. Um, but I guess when you look at growth for the athletic department and maybe facility growth, how important is that to you? Is there anything in the works? Uh, did you find a pot of gold in Stanford when you were out there that can help build a new arena? That is one of my top priorities for the ARC to figure out what we're gonna do, whether we rehab it or build a whole new arena. Now, that's my priority, but it's subject to a lot of other things happening. And all those kind of decisions are held in abeyance while we're going through this process and figuring out what is the the path forward for the university for the next five years. And strategic planning will inform uh, our priorities with respect to buildings, one of which would be the ARC. Another priority will be, for example, a, a new um, college, a building for the College of Nursing and Health Professions, which really desperately needs another building. Now, fortunately, I think that the donors for an ARC, if we go down that road, uh, and donors for Con HP, they really don't mix. I mean, so it's not like you're competing against uh, yourself and doing that. But we have to wait for strategic planning to, to finish, and it should finish by July of 22. And then we'll have a better idea of how I can act upon uh, the ARC. Uh, because again, I want to make sure that the board and the community are of the same mind, and, and they will inform that decision. But Jose Padilla, at this point in time, just remember, it's just his opinion. And I know you're going to say, well, it's a pretty important opinion. I get that. <laughs> but, but again, I have to talk to my board colleagues and get their, their input through strategic planning and so forth. But uh, we need to do something different for that facility. Because, you know, it, I love the, you know, I went to the women's game uh, against Notre Dame the other day. And I loved how there was a good crowd, good, good turnout. Uh, but I think, you know, having been at DePaul, 
where when they, I was there when we provide the legal counsel to build Wintrust Arena. Now that has been the answer to all of DePaul's problems in basketball, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it is a great place to watch a ball game. And you and I both know it's a draw for recruits. And it's also a sign to recruits of how important the sport is to them. And I think that's another thing that would help us uh, draw recruits, but also I think bring the community together because we play such a pivotal part in the community. So I think we have to do something. And, uh, and but again, I just have to make sure that we go through our process here at the university, particularly for strategic planning to see if we come to collectively come to that conclusion. But if, if they were to ask me, and some have, I think it's important for us to do something with the ARC. And if we don't do it with the ARC, then we build a new arena. Uh, so all I guess I'm saying, that's, a, that's an option in Jose Padilla's opinion at this snapshot of time. Very good. Really appreciate the time you took to talk with us today. Um, I, again, I know Valpo fans are excited uh, about having you here because, again, just the excitement that you've brought to some of the games. It's been mentioned to me by, by many people. So, uh, and again, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I'm going to have to figure out how my, my cowboy hat because, you know, now I'm shaving my head uh, because I was follically challenged and the cowboy hat blows away very easily. So I'm going to have to figure out to put some some liner in there. So am I not, I'm always not constantly holding it on in a windy day. So, well, it is, it's become, it's become iconic uh, in, <laughs> in about four or five home football games. It's certainly become iconic. So I think if you wore it inside the arc, there might be people sitting behind you who are questioning uh, being able to see a little bit. So uh, president Padilla, thank you very much. Uh, have a blessed holiday season and uh, we'll catch you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you.